excited to be here today because today we are finishing James. And I know for some of you, you'll go, hallelujah. It's been a long slog through James, but it is a particularly fun and I hope good for us today to take a step back and consider this amazing epistle. And even if you haven't been with us, I hope that what you walk away with is, is a sense of welcome home. That's why I'm calling this welcome home. Welcoming home is to come back and to be excited and encouraged and comfortable and in, in the right way. To embrace each other and to be excited. And the, the, the difficult thing that I've had in James, and, and maybe you have too if you hear the word James in the epistle to James, is I never think of James that way. I think of James somewhat as a baseball bat. Somewhat as a poke. Somewhat as not encouraging. And, and, and to some degree, that's because I've always taken James in the past as sort of a... Um, as a counterbalance. Then that there's the gospel of grace. That's Paul. Paul does Galatians. Oh, all that grace. But James gives him some good things to think about. So, you know, there's faith, but faith works. And, and, and that, I hope, as we've been through James, I, and, and this morning, especially as we think about what James is saying as he ends his letter, I hope that you can change that to an and. Because I really do think, and we've talked about this before, that it's not faith alone, but make sure you get to work. It's faith alone and it shows. And when it shows, it's a glorious assurance. It's not a negative poke. The difficulty somewhat that we have in James is is the difficulty we have in our culture. Is that if I really ask you about James, you probably know two lines. Something on the lines of, Faith alone is never enough. Something like that. Faith works. Because we're a society of memes. We take little tiny sound bites and we put them together and we, we forget the, all the rest. In fact, if I asked you, it's a little bit the Christian church too, because if I asked you this morning and said, hey, we've been in James for three months now. Two months ago, sermon number four, what was that one about? And I know someone in the body will raise their hand and know. But most of us have no idea. It was enough that we took for today what we were supposed to hear. But that means, unfortunately, we get these pieces. And we get these pieces around, and we don't get the picture. So what I want to do today is back up, because we just have one sentence left in James. It's a great sentence. But it's just one sentence. And with that, I want to make sure you understand what James' heart is through his letter. So whenever you hear the word James again, you feel like you understand what the, what the message is what it is, and it's encouraging. Okay, so l- let me let me do that with you with this verse, well, two verses, one sentence. Here it is, chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, and this is what he ends with. This is his final statement. Here it is. My brothers, he means brothers and sisters, right? Believers in the church, saying people in the church. If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Kaboom. Close the book. Mic drop. He's done. It's a little bit of a strange way to end. There's no goodbye. There's no go in grace and warmth and peace and kindness. 
It's just this. So why is this welcome home? And, and, and to understand it, you've got to get with me and walk with me on what it means to wander from the truth. Do you see that in there? My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. What is that? Remember, he's talking to the church. He's not talking to the world. He's not saying if any of you are wandering out there and you don't know Jesus, he's talking about people who are inside the church. My brothers and sisters right here, some of you might wander from the truth. What do you think he means? When we look at it and we start to think about it and you, you think through what this wandering from the truth might be, and could you be wandering? People use it to mean anything they can think of. It's that general for people often. But you know that's not true, right? It's not if you save someone, if you come and convince someone that the earth isn't flat, it's actually round. You are covering, saving their soul from death and covering a multitude of sins. That's not the truth he's talking about, right? He's not talking about scientific truth. Some people think, oh, well, maybe he's talking about doctrinal truth. You know, if, if, uh, if you convince someone that they need to go to church on Sunday, you'll save their soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. No. No, that's probably not what he's thinking, is it? In fact, in James, there's not really any talk of false teachers. Paul does a lot of that. James hasn't really talked about false teachers much. He's not really thinking of truth like that, is he? The most common way that we kind of go here is, we go, okay, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm gonna, he's closing. This is an important piece as we end. If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, he must be talking about wandering into sin. Behavioral problems. If, if somebody, somebody does crazy bad sin and you can, and you can get them out of that sin and so they don't do the sin anymore, then, then that will save their soul from death. There's a problem. I don't think he means that either. If you, you notice I didn't finish the verse because if I finished the verse, you'd see it doesn't make sense. If you stop from them from sinning, you will cover a multitude of sins. That's called circular. That's not, doesn't make any sense in the language. If you stop some from sinning, you will cover a multitude of sins is not what he's after. Nor is it after if you look at how he uses the word truth. If you wander from the truth, what does he mean? He's actually used this word truth three times in the letter. The, the one that's really illuminating is chapter 1, verse 18, where he says, you were saved by the word of truth. That truth is the gospel, right? The gospel. I, I think you can make a good case for the truth that he's talking about being Christ himself, being, being, being this good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, you have other places where Jesus is, is called the truth. Here's 1 John 1, 17, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus brought truth, the truth of who you are, how you're saved. You have Jesus in John 14 even saying it more strongly. He said, right, he stood up and he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus himself is the truth. So you come back and say, okay, well, what James is saying is don't wander away from the gospel, but I'll tell you what, that's not really enough for you to say. Because here's the problem. The gospel in our culture, especially now, has become another catchphrase. I don't know what you mean when you say it. We're going to be gospel-centered around here. Oh, okay, that sounds great. Let's do it. 
We, 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 he's talking about don't wander off from the gospel. Well, what's the gospel? And then general people just go, okay, well, sort of Christianity, whatever. And they don't understand. Maybe we don't get the wonder and the importance of what James is saying that we're on the lookout for. We care about people wandering from the truth. And I think the best way to understand that wandering from the truth, is to actually say the truth that James has written about to us. Because this is the last line of the letter. Who wanders from the truth. What truth? The truth of the gospel that James has portrayed. And if I sat down and asked you, what is that? Would you know? Some of us wouldn't, and you ought to, because it's really amazing. So I want, I want to do is I want to back up. And we're going to back up for just a few minutes here. It's worth your time. To back up and consider what the truth has been in James. Would you do that with me? So back up to the very beginning. If you have your Bibles and want to follow, turn to chapter 1. Go ahead and look. We're not going to put a bunch of verses on the screen because I think it, it, it would distract you more than... The, I want you to see the flow. I want you to see the message. I want you to think back to when we started. Remember we started in chapter 1 when James says, okay, when you fall into various trials, rejoice. Why did we rejoice? Do you remember? We rejoiced because... If you go through difficulties and you suffer, but you still hold on to Jesus, you're getting and getting assurance of the biggest truth ever that you really do believe. You realize that James is going to be a book all the way through. It's going to be about not works. If I was going to pick one word, I wouldn't pick works. I wouldn't even pick faith works because that's two words. I would pick faith and we see from the very first moment, from the very first thing, James steps back and he says, okay, when you suffer, oh, and you don't have to put on a smile when you suffer, but when you do, you might have a cause to rejoice because I'll tell you what's more important than your physical suffering. I'll tell you what's more important than your failure is if you confess Jesus. If you hold on to your faith in the midst of difficulty, that's a fantastic sign you have reason to rejoice. And he goes on then in chapter 1, you remember, to say actually everything that you have that's good, your salvation is a gift from the Father of lights who implants the Word in us, the Word of truth. He says, so what we do is we receive it. And it's this picture of what the Gospel is. Because we don't earn our salvation, we receive it from God, it's a gift and we receive it. So the most important thing, says James, is that you know you trust in Jesus. And then there's a piece about how that trust is a gift from God. And then he goes on to make it clearer for us, you and I, who believe. Because his next step is into making sure you look into the mirror of the law. You remember that? Okay, believer, you say you trust in Christ. So you take a good look into the law. And don't forget. What is it that we don't forget? Well, you don't forget that when you look into the law, the law always what? accuses you look into the law and you get to see yourself and it's not a pretty picture never the law condemns me the law always says here's the beauty the law is beautiful and perfect and good and we we talked about how wonderful it was and james says hey hey it's like a mirror though and when you look i want you never to forget what you look like you see your reflection is not Perfect. God requires perfection. What does it do? What does it do? And what James does is it drives us to our knees, right? 
It drives us to our knees to say, it's never me. It's always God. It's God all the time. It's always Christ and what he's done. It's never me. And I, I, I want to do good and I, I see the law and I want to do it and that's a good thing. But, but here it is that I can't. That's the reality. And never forget that your only hope is Jesus. That's what he did in chapter 1. And by the end of chapter 1, we're on our knees. We're saying, hey, I get it. I, I can't. We're, this humility it becomes our mark. We can't even do religion right. We're always threaded through with imperfection. We do good things. They're just not perfect things. And so, when the measure is perfection, I remember my need for Savior. Then we go to chapter 2. Chapter 2, he goes into the part where, you, where if the gospel's true, if this gospel's true, that it's only Jesus and it's a gift from God, then there's no such thing as partiality. There's no such thing as there's, there's better people who are rich because God's given them favor and people who are poor because God's mad at them. But we're all the same. We've all received the same gift. There's not that sort of hierarchy and ranking, and you shouldn't even think that way, says James, because the gospel's true. And then he turns and he says, not only, not only that, but it should be that you find assurance that you really believe in Jesus. Because there's three things, you know, you can say you believe, and, and, and I could, he says, there is such a thing as false faith, where you just say it. I could tell you that the, the sky is purple. Is it purple? No. But I can lie. I'm a liar. So if I say I believe in Jesus, but I don't really believe, that's not faith. Certainly works aren't going to help me because works are, are, are no helpful. Says James, it says, hey, you, you show me your works and I'll show you my faith. No, I'll show you my faith by my works. What's important is real faith. And James says real faith is going to show itself. Real faith, if you really get this wondrous gift that God's dropped out of the sky into your hands, if you really get that, what's going to happen, you're going to respond. And when you do, you may not even see all the responses. But the fact is, it's going to happen. You can take it to the bank. And so we who have put our faith in Jesus get assurance that God will use us. That's what James does. Do you see why it's about faith? And he keeps going there in, 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 in chapter 2 where we have this assurance and we don't have to try and one-up each other. Even the examples that he gives, if you remember, were about Abraham and Rahab who are outside the law. Okay. He keeps going. Chapter 3, he gives us this example for us. It's called the tongue. Remember that? How he says, he starts going off, and for 12 verses, he goes after the tongue. He remembers how the tongue is this amazing, strong, powerful thing. It's like a rudder on a big, huge ship that guides it to where it's going. It's like a, a bit in the mouth of a horse that, that, that moves it wherever it's going. And he says, you know what? Your tongue, it's evil. And I go, oh, no. He says, he says, out of the same mouth comes blessing and cursing, and these things ought not be. And I say, oh, well, yeah, that ought not be. And, and you know what he never does in all 12 verses? You remember? He never says, okay, get to work on it. He just says, you're bad in your tongue. I recoil. I'm using my tongue right now. How can my tongue be bad? It's because in everything I say, there's, there's two pieces, right? And everything I said, and we saw this, we saw how then everything out of my mouth, I praise God and I worship God. Now the same mouth, I, I, I push myself up and I take other people down. 
I'm about me as well as about God and all things. And here I am soaked through with it and it comes out. And these things ought not be, says James. And then he stops. There's no hope for you. In fact, what he says is if, if you could control your tongue, you'd be a perfect person, you remember? Of course, we're none of us perfect. I know one perfect person. His name is Jesus. Not me. What does this do to me? The same thing he's been doing, right? It drives you to your knees. It says, you know, I realize, I look into this beautiful picture of what I should be, and I realize I'm not that. Even though I try, I fall and I fail. And, and so what does it do? It pushes me back to the cross, to Jesus, to putting my value and identity and hope in, in, in what Jesus has done and not in me. He's not done in chapter 3. In the second piece, he pushes us, and we, we spent some weeks here, into two paths. Remember that? There's two ways to live. One is earthly wisdom, and one is heavenly wisdom. They're both wisdom, but they're different. And this one wisdom is the, is the response I'm, I'm tempted to have to, to the tongue piece. Here's the response I'm tempted to have. I, I was tempted to have, okay, I'll get to work on that. I'll make my tongue better. I'll make myself do better. I will work on this so my tongue is perfect. So I, Dax, will be clean. And that's something that all the world does. We all dress up. We all work on our bodies, our physical bodies. We all work on our lives. We try and make our lives the best they can be. We try and build and build and build our own little kingdoms. And that's earthly wisdom. And James says it's demonic. Remember? It was shocking. I was like, no way. This is the way I'm supposed to live is to get it together, to build it up, to make it strong. And, and, and actually, that was the way of earthly wisdom. Then there's heavenly wisdom, said James. And that's Jesus. Jesus. He's upside down. He saves the weak. He's for the humble. He goes after the lost. And, and, and James influenced it out as he goes in James 4. And in James 4, he, he presented this again with two roads. Either you're a friend of the world, working on yourself, building up yourself, or you're a friend of God, and they're not compatible. Right? The, 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 the two ways, right? We think like the world. We do it. We do it naturally. We put our best foot forward. We want to succeed and be strong and be growing and be marching. And that's enmity with God, says James. And, and again, I'm trapped. I, I hope you see the flow of James. He's doing the same thing over and over. I'm trapped. Like with the law, like with our tongue, like with one misstep being all we get. If, if you misstep, says James, if you miss it in one little piece, you've missed it all. And I humbly am with you saying I am not perfect and I mean it. Not just, oh yeah, we're all imperfect people. Okay, we're fine. So, kumbaya. No, really. I get frustrated with my kids when I shouldn't. I should be patient. I missed it all because that's the standard. And so, again, these two pathways, the, the, the one pathway says I, I need to climb and be stronger and get better, and we labeled that with Martin Luther, the theologian of glory, of us getting better, marching Christian soldiers onward up to glory, that we improve and improve and get better and better, and our lives get better, and our, our strength gets stronger, and we, we need less and less of God's 
cover because in ourselves we are glorious. Earthly wisdom. Versus a theologian of the cross. And, and here James says that the mark of the Christian is humility. We're on our knees. We're blown away. We can't believe we're, we're not worthy of a single breath and yet this great Father of lights gives us salvation. That's a theologian of the cross. We're weak. We need Christ. We don't get stronger. And we reflect with, Matt, with Jesus in Matthew 11. Jesus said, come to me all you are weak, heavy laden, and I will give you more work to do. No. I will give you rest. That's what he says, right? Got to see yourself as weak. So, so we, we finished James 4. We went into James 5 and we looked one more time at this mirror of the law. It was the same sort of stuff again. James won't let it go. He puts up this, this picture for us and he says, hey, you, at the end of chapter 4, you really shouldn't be so presumptuous. Don't you see it's a sin? We go, well, I don't do that sin, but he's really talking about planning, right? You shouldn't even say, let's go today, let's go tomorrow and next week to this town and make a profit. Remember that little passage? And, and it's like, wait a minute, I use a calendar every day. <laughs> my, 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 my life is built on me planning out what I'm going to do, and not just, not just with my calendar for meetings or things like that. But, but So I read that and said, okay, I'm going to change. And if you remember, we went through this said, okay, so I, I made it. Well, I immediately began... Someone asked me to lunch the next day, and I said, well, if the Lord wills, I go to lunch with you. Someone says, well, can we meet on Friday? Well, we can if the Lord wills. That made it about a day and a half, and then I started forgetting again. So the last two weeks, I haven't done it at all. He said, well, it's implied. No, it's not implied. I forget. I plan out my life, but I don't even know if tomorrow will happen. But, but we're supposed to do that, not just in the area of planning, but in the area of money. I mean, who, you're supposed to be a good steward. I gotta plan it out. I gotta have enough for retirement. I gotta put it in the bank. I gotta parcel it out. Well, I have enough for when I'm 65, when I'm 75, I gotta plan and I gotta make sure I'm not a burden to other people. And so I, James says, you rich fool. That hit me close to home because I think that, that, that there it is. We're looking at this, this law piece again, and James has this picture for us. We look back at ourselves and we see, I'm 95% okay. It's a good thing to be a good steward. It's a good thing to plan. It's a good thing, but I'm 5% about me. I'm afraid that the Lord won't take care of me. I have this little piece in me, and you do too. Uh, we're just we're gonna we're gonna make sure that we have enough for us, and that 5% ruins it all. Makes us all failures. It's hard for me to say because I, because I want to be that way and I see the good in it. And yet James puts this picture up and says you're not who you need to be perfectly and it kills you. The law always accuses. What does it do? If it's accusing, it's either going to make you fight, and this is what James has done, or it's going to drive you to your knees. And so we're on our knees. And we say, I need a savior. This is called the gospel. The gospel is our humility, our nothing, and Jesus is everything. And we trust him. We put our trust in him. What's my trust for? Everything. Especially when I look at me 
And I see with James's lenses how poor and needy and weak I am. We are. That's why we've slowed down at this very end because we're in, that's chapter 5. Now we're in chapter 5. And in chapter 5, then he slows down and he says, hey, there's a couple things then that mark you as a person who has the gospel. One thing is this thing called patience. We had a sermon on patience and time, if you remember, because it's not about patience as a character trait, like you need to be more patient with your kids or more patient with your wife. Maybe you do need to be both of those things. But James is talking about you need to be patient, all of us, because the gospel's true. We are patiently waiting for Jesus. That's the Christian life. I can't wait. I'm so ready for Jesus to come. And, and because all my hope is in Christ, because all my hope is in His return and not in me, I can't wait for Him to appear because when He does, all His promises will be sure. Oh, my Savior's coming. Your Savior's coming. And this is what we wait for. We wait for Jesus' appearance because He's everything to us. And, and, and James says, hey, this is what it looks like to get the gospel. That's what you're doing. You're patiently waiting for Jesus. Patience and time means Jesus is here. Not only that, but then we looked at the next theme when, G, when James pushed us then towards if you get the gospel, then it's about transparency. Remember that? It's just this little thing. Above all, let your yes be yes and your no be no, he says. Because if you really get the gospel, then it's all about Jesus. It's not about me. I don't have to hide and deceive and act like I'm someone I'm not. I don't have to put on my face and say, because it's so important that you think I'm doing okay, and just say, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, everything's good, I'm holding it together while my life is falling apart. Why? Because, because I found the greatest thing ever. It's Jesus Christ, and He covers all my sin. He's forgiven me. He's given me His righteousness. And here I stand in His presence. And I can, with you, say, this is our only hope. And so here I am, fallen guy. And I really sin. And I'm really forgiven. You are too if you trust in Jesus. That's us, right? When we start to deceive and hide, we're actually retreating back into something that says, I don't believe the gospel. And James makes that clear. And then he pushes us towards not just being transparent for transparency's sake, but actually you're going to get prayed for. And you're going to pray for other people because that's so encouraging. When you're weak, when you're weary of this life and you'll be that way says james you need to find some people who who get the gospel and they'll come alongside you and pray for you because it's encouraging and and when you're getting the gospel and someone's weary you'll encourage someone else and pray for them this is what it means to live the christian life is to encourage and point and help each other with the truth of the scriptures that your sins are forgiven that there is confession and absolution, that there are these things that happen in your life that are there just because Jesus is true. That's James. You just did it with me. We just walked through all the pieces. So that's the message. If that's what it means, so come back with me. Think with me. Brothers, sisters, if anyone among you wanders from this, this presentation that I've given you, says James, that this is what you're worried about people wandering from, what is it that you're worried people are going to wander from then? 
This is important for your life. This is what it's going to, it's not just wandering from any truth. It's not wandering from sort of, from, I, I forgot, you know, Deuteronomy 13, 27. This is a particular thing, the message of James. What's the mess? Where are people going to wander from that message? And if you just took what I gave you and said, I get, I get it, what he walked through, then you know what people are going to walk away from. They're going to walk away from the humility of life not being about themselves. They're going to wander into merit. They're going to wander into thinking that they have to climb a mountain to get to Christ. They're going to think they have to be stronger, better, more put together, and that's the focus. And, and, and they're aided in some ways by churches around our nation that focus so much on ten ways to be a better parent. That's good. There's nothing wrong with that. That's great. There's just no gospel in it. It's not the truth that James is concerned about. The truth that he's concerned you wandering from is that you and I might forget about looking at the mirror of the law and seeing in the law our imperfection that we might be driven to the cross and stand again in the righteousness of Christ. And we need each other to not forget that. You see, if you never got that, but you're sitting in this room, you might not even be saved. And that's where I think he's going, because he says, let him know whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering, this wandering away from the centrality of the gospel, the reality that you have nothing and it's all Jesus, that, that'll save your soul from death, won't it? That'll cover a multitude of sins, because the reality is, all my sin is covered. By who? By Jesus. Isn't that what Christianity is? I mean, think with me for a minute. If I was going to ask you really truly, honestly, at the bottom of your heart today, and I was going to say to you, person sitting here, this church, do you really believe that all the sins you ever did are covered? All the sins you're doing now are forgiven? And all the sins you're ever going to do are paid for? Would you say yes? You should. What does that mean? That means your Christianity is not about sin, is it? It's all paid for. Your Christianity is about what you do with that truth. How do you respond to that? Do you respond with this humility of, wow, I can't believe it, this is fantastic, it's great news. I found the greatest treasure ever and <laughs> I'll just receive it. Or do you say, well, I, I, maybe that's true, but I think I'll still work on me being a better me to show God that I really believe it. That'll take you down a wandering path, says James. What you need to do is stay right here because you and I have found this. You and I, if you, if you think about this, my brothers, if they wander from this, let them know whoever brings back a sinner. Look, look, I have had my soul saved from death. I have had my sins covered. So I know this amazing truth that I just can't wait <laughs> to share with everybody I know. And if there is someone here who starts to wander from that, I want you to come home. I want you to come home to the gospel. I want you to come home to this truth, to not wander off into self-improvement and self-attainment and self-righteousness and, and, and whatever you want to call it, I don't care, a focus on you. I want you to get back to Jesus. I want you to come back to the grace, the goodness, the truth. That's Christ alone. And, and, and if you do this here, James ends his letter this way because he knows how cool it is if you do this. If the Holy Spirit allows you, it won't be you alone. If the Holy Spirit allows you to have a role in this for someone else, you'll know it for eternity. 
Imagine in heaven, you sitting with God a thousand years from now thinking, you know, back in the day when the Holy Spirit used me to, to, to encourage someone in Jesus, and now, look, they, they actually held on to Christ all the way through. Not that you can lose your salvation, but that the Lord uses you to encourage people. It's fantastic. It's the heart of God, right? Remember Luke 15? Luke 15, where the, the sheep and one gets lost, and there's hundred of them, and, and one gets lost, and the, the shepherd goes and he gets that sheep. Or, or the, 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 the parable of the father with the two sons, and the one son has wandered off and, and, and finally realizes and starts to come back, and the father lifts his robe and runs off and grabs him and rejoices, and it says there's great rejoicing before the angels in heaven. That means God himself rejoices when one wandering sinner is found. I used to think that was only salvation, like conversion. You know, but, but if you think about it, those sheep are already God's. That kid is already part of the family. He's talking, I think, as well, about you and I being the encouragers to bring people back to the centrality of the gospel every day, not forgetting it. And in all the good things that we do, and may we do much good and good, there's, may I encourage you to good works. There's no problem in it. But here's the problem. We are Christians. It means I repent of my good works. Because in all my good works, there's this thread, this thread of me. And so here I am again at the cross. And here we are again with James. And I put one of my favorite songs there in the, in the bulletin as we end. I just, I said, how can we be so prone to wander? Chris Rice, prone to wander. How can we be so prone to wander? So prone to leave you, so prone to die. How can you be so full of mercy? You race to meet me and bring me back to life. This is where I'd like us to end this morning. We, we have been brought back, you and I. And then the Lord uses us to bring back other people. And this is amazing and wonderful and true. And may you be a part of it. And when the Lord uses you, may you rejoice. This is the message that I'd like for me. This is on our wall outside and it's on purpose. But this is the message of James. That we're more broken than we know and more loved than we comprehend. You still are. Even though you have the righteousness of Christ alone, even though He has saved you, we remain until He comes. We're waiting for Him. We're not, we don't know what we're going to be like yet, but it's coming. We remain more broken than we know. We remain more loved than we can really understand. And if you will stand there with me, this is powerful. The Lord uses the weak and the lowly and the humble. And this is what we never want to wander from. We never want to get to be where we're strong in ourselves. We always want to be where we're humble in Jesus. Let's stay there together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for James and this amazing epistle, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for his truth. Lord, I confess it's been hard for me. I confess it seems sometimes like he's using a baseball bat on me. But Lord, we know that you're all we have. And Father, I pray for us gathered here today, we might be humble. We might realize we're the weak and the lowly and the needy. We might continue to put our trust in Christ alone. And Father, we thank you that you've done it all for us. Help us to be those who point to you with our fingers, with our lives, with everything that we are, because you're worthy of it. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.